Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. Got a crowd today. You know, it's a beautiful day, and you could have been at the beach or on the river or the golf course or any number of places, but you chose to be here to worship God. Thank you. I love you. Appreciate your faithfulness to God. If you're visiting with us today, I want you to be at home. You're in a new place, and I understand that. It's different. But there are people around you that love you and are praying for you. So just rest and let God speak to your heart. Amen? Well, um, been an interesting week. I want to pray for us as we get started. Father, thank you for being in this room with us today. And thank you, Lord, that even though we've had some reservations about being here, some have, there are other things that we could have done today. God, we've chosen to be here. I believe we're here by divine appointment. I believe there's something specifically you want to say to us. And I pray, God, that you would do that. Encourage our hearts. The world we live in doesn't want to do that. It wants to lead us astray. But God, I pray that you'll help us to focus on you today and come closer to you. What an awesome thing to be gathered with believers who trust you, who know you, and God are now experiencing you in a corporate setting. Please bless our lives today, having been in your presence. In your precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Joyce and I live outside of town. Some of you have asked me several times, where do you live? Well, we live outside of town. We're out in the country. Right across from where we live, there's this beautiful farm, and it's got some wide, open, spacious fields. And it's got a section of standing timber that's just beautiful. It's always been nice. It's been, we've been there 18 years. It's been nice to be able to just look across and every now and then see some deer and see some turkeys and been fun. Well, <laughs> about two weeks ago, they started cutting all that beautiful timber across the road from our house. And my guess is by the time they're finished, they're going to probably have cut 50 to 100, maybe even more uh, acres. And... Uh, for, for weeks now, all of that beautiful timber has just been, just been disappearing. It's going down and going away. And, and quite honestly, I don't like it one bit. <laughs> I'm not a tree hugger, but I don't like to see trees being cut and being hauled away. And so I don't mind telling you, when I first started seeing, when I saw the signs out there, I went, ah! <laughs> I can't believe they're doing that to me. But you know what? Those trees don't belong to me. And so I really can't do anything about it, even though I don't like it. God has taught me through the years that there are some things that you can do something about, and you should. I mean, if you can do something, fix it. Do, do whatever you can. James says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. And then not do it. Um, there are some things we can change. But there are a lot of things, honestly, there are a lot of things 
that we can do nothing about except trust that situation into the hands of a caring God and leave it to him, let him handle it. Back in the early 1930s, maybe the late 1920s, there was an American theologian, Reinhold Nabor, I think is the way you pronounce his name. He penned a prayer to encourage us to do just that, to put things in the hand of God and leave it with him and trust him. It's a very popular prayer. It's a prayer that you will probably recognize. Some of you may even have parts of it memorized. It goes something like this. God, give me the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Now that's a part of the prayer that we remember, but do you know that there's more to that prayer? Yeah, I didn't think so. They leave the rest of the prayer out in all the greeting cards you get or the, you know, those kind of cards. There's more, and I want to share the more with you because I think it, it really helps us to bring into concept, context what, what he is trying to say through this prayer. It goes on to say this, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, but trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. I love the latter part of that prayer. It's awesome. Folks, that's a beautiful prayer. That's profound spiritual wisdom. And oh, that we could all live out that prayer in all of our life, in all that we do, in the good things and in the, the, the good days and the tough days. But you know what I'm afraid? I'm afraid that we don't live out that prayer. In fact, I'm afraid that too often we live our lives, go, we go through life alone, just kind of struggling with life. It's been said that the world that we live in has become a very scary place. <laughs> Dr. Johnny Hunt said to say that things are changing in America and that people no longer feel as safe and secure as in the past may be the understatement of the new millennium. Our, our world is a scary place. And, and most days we do okay with that. But then there are some days that we don't. Some days we just don't have any idea what kind of situation we're going to encounter, nor, nor who we are going to encounter. About three weeks ago, on our way to Richmond to attend a funeral for, for a lady, dear sweet lady that was in our church in North Carolina, um, Joyce and Leah and the grandkids and I stopped at a fast food restaurant to, to pick up a quick bite to eat. The kids were a little bit hungry and we didn't want them to have to sit through the funeral hungry. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so we stopped in and I'm standing in line taking, giving the order. Uh, and, and, and we encountered a very rude, mean spirited person that quite frankly was pretty scary. I, I looked over my shoulder and Leah was going out the door. 
she doesn't do scary. Um, this, this lady made some very rude, threatening remarks to me. I, I'm in line right in front of the cashier, and she's, she's speaking to me. And, and because of what she said, I quickly figured out that we were in a dangerous place. And honestly, it was a very tense and fearful moment. And so even though we were hungry, I, I quickly started thinking about what I might have to do to protect my family. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I quickly began evaluating the situation. I'm going through my checklist. I'm considering my options. And I'm keeping my eye on this lady. I'm not looking directly at her. I didn't want to. But I got my eye on her. And I'm in line and the young man's behind the cash register and I go ahead and I, I put our order in and, and um, we, we got our food and I, I quickly moved my family away from the danger and, and, and praying all the time for God's protection. It was that serious. And we got our food and we went over and we sat in the corner of the room. I, I wanted my back to the wall. That's strategic. And, and, and I, as I, we sat down with our food and we got the kids all squared away, I looked back up and this lady's gone. Well, that could be good and that could be bad. <laughs> but I was prepared and, and I'm watching. And, and she never came back in. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We were, we were good to go. We were good to go. You know, just like the timber that was across the road from our house, most of our fears that we struggle with are situations that are really far beyond our control, things that we just can't do anything about. I mean, think about this. The, as citizens of this country, our any country for that matter, you and I have very little control over what our government does. In fact, I'm convinced we don't know even a fraction of what our government does. We don't have any control over the stock market. And, and irregardless of what people say or, or think or believe, we really don't have any control over our climate either. I had to throw that in there, you know. <laughs> You and I certainly cannot control the attitudes or the actions of people. People are just going to be people. Ronnie's favorite phrase is, it's just people being people. You know, we don't have control over some things. But even though we don't have control over most of the things that cause us to be fearful, you and I do have control over how we respond when we're tempted to live in fear. Uh, God blessed me with a psalm uh, in my study, my quiet time this week. And, and I, it's a study that, that really teaches us that we don't, even though we live in a scary place, we don't have to live fearful. And, and trust me, I've read that psalm over and over. I've read it and reread it, and I'll continue to read it. There's even a verse in there that I'm going to memorize, and I'm going to keep it in my heart because it, it's just a really good verse. Really rich and powerful psalm. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. I don't know if you've taken time to understand and listen to what God says through that verse. But I want to share just a brief part. I, I could spend the whole time on, on just, just that psalm. But 
Um, let me just share a verse beginning in verse 9. The author says, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your dwelling. For he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go, and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. Do you really believe that? I mean, I've caught myself going back and saying, Randy, do you believe this? Do you believe that, that we have a God who protects us no matter where we go or no matter what we face, no matter what we encounter, and that he has angels that watch over us to protect us and care for us, to keep us from harm? Can you trust God and can you trust his word? Do we? The Bible says you can. And in fact, his words teach us that we can trust him in all that he has said in every situation, no matter what we encounter. I started looking at scripture verses that parallel with this psalm and I found Psalm 50 verse 15 that says, call on me when you're in trouble and I will rescue you. Guys, I don't know what you think, but that's big. That's a big, big promise. Jeremiah said, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Jesus said, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God, who hear what God has said and is saying, and then put all of that into practice. I shared this scripture with you last week where Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. God speaks to you and he speaks to your situation Jesus said to those people who believed in him in the day that he walked, you are truly my disciples if you keep obeying my teaching. If you, if you hear what I say and you do the things that I told you to do, he said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free. God always speaks truth. Amen? Always. Again, the psalmist says, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you'll run to him and take shelter in him, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your dwelling. For he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. When you take this verse at face value, the key to God's divine protection is simply trusting God to follow through with everything that he's promised us. And the reality is simply this. Nothing can harm a child of God unless the Lord permits it. Uh, we, we, we talk about people having our back. Well, friends, God's got your back. 
He always sees and knows everything you're going through. And there's no threat you'll ever face that will overpower him. He is mighty. He is almighty God. He is omnipotent. He, he, he you know, <laughs> there's no better place to be than to be on God's side. Because when you read the book, it says he wins. Amen. <laughs> I like being on God's side. One of the many other amazing benefits of trusting God is that his angels come and watch over us. You know, we, we don't know. I have no way of counting. But this room's probably full of angels today. Yeah. I hope everybody checked your demon at the door. <laughs> and only brought the good guys in today. You know, there's a spiritual war that goes on around us. Angels. God has an ample supply of angels. They're servants. They do his bidding. They are messengers. They're, there's a part of life that involves angels in the world that we cannot see. Can you imagine what heaven's going to be like when we can finally see them? You can't go to the drugstore and buy a pair of sunglasses that will help you see them. They, we, we can't see them, but they're here. Scripture tells us a lot about angels and what angels have done in the past. If you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den, it was an angel of God that went in and shut the mouths of all those lions. If you remember that story, the king didn't want to put Daniel in the lion's den, but because he was tricked into passing a law, an edict, that said if you don't, if you don't pray to me and you pray to somebody else, you're going to be thrown in the lion's den. Well, Daniel prayed to God, not to a king. And he got thrown in the lion's den, even though the king didn't want to do it. And it says very early in the morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den. He got up early, crack of dawn. And, and when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to rescue from the lion? Daniel, are you alive? Of course, Daniel answered, long live the king. Hey, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you either, your majesty. That night when Paul was in that ship and he's making his way to land and longing to see dry ground. As the ship is being tossed in the seas. There was an angel that went to him and encouraged him. In fact, scripture says, for last night, an angel, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, that angel came and stood beside me and he said to me, don't be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid of the storm that's around you for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. That's what Paul wanted. He wanted to go to Rome. And the angel said, you're not going to die in the sea. Nobody's going to die. In fact, the angel goes on to say, what's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone that's sailing with you. You're all going to make it to shore. Folks, angels minister to us. I don't know if you've ever seen one. I think I've seen one or two. But they're hard to determine what they are. Sometimes they're among us and we don't even know it. The writer of Hebrews says, but these angels, they're only servants. 
They are spirits sent from God to care for those who will receive salvation. This is a powerful psalm that teaches us that there's a lot of reasons why we don't have to fear our situation or anything that we face. God's going to protect us. He's our shelter. He's our refuge. He even sends angels to take care of us. What an awesome thought. You see, God doesn't want you to be afraid of anything, anywhere, or anyone in any place at any time. Fear's not of God. It's not. Fear is a crafty tool of the devil. Paul taught Timothy with these words, God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. You need to memorize that and claim that and push the enemy back with the truth of God's word. You don't have to be afraid because God has promised to protect you. He's our divine protector. Pastor Brent Thompson said, How we respond to the attacks of Satan is critical as we mature in our relationship with the Lord. He said responding in faith helps us to overcome our fears when we place all of our trust in Jesus. That's key right there. Go to Jesus. I studied this Psalm, Psalms 91, and and what was one of the things that was interesting to me as I studied it is that Satan used the very words of the text that I read to you this morning when he tempted Jesus 2,000 years ago. That story is recorded by Matthew in the fourth chapter. In verse 5 it says, Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said to him, If you really are the Son of God, just go over to the edge and jump off. For the scripture says that he orders his angels to protect you and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded back to him. He said, but the scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. Interesting what Satan said to Jesus. He quoted scripture. Satan probably knows more scripture than all of us together. He quoted scripture, he quoted God's word, but he deliberately misquoted scripture in an attempt to get Jesus to stumble. In fact, he left some words out, but he also added some words and he twisted the original meaning of what God had said. So you think about it. Do you understand that if he would do this to Jesus, to the son of God, if he would twist scripture with, with him, the living word of God, what will he do to you and me? He is a master. He is, he is a master of deception. He's a liar. He couldn't tell you the truth if he had to. But that's been his MO from the very beginning. Now I've already said to you, but I'm gonna say it again. God speaks to you the truth. I want you to think back to what God said to Adam. In the garden. It was the truth. When you go to Genesis 2 verse 8. It says then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he placed man. The man that he had created. And the Lord God planted all sorts of trees in the garden. Beautiful trees. 
that produced delicious fruit. And at the center of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the center. In the center. That's critical. Verse 15 said, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to care for all of those trees. God gave him work to do. He gave him a job. He gave him purpose. So he gave him work, but then the Lord God gave him a warning. You may eat freely of any tree or any, any fruit in the garden except fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. Think about it. It's like God taking you into a grocery store and saying you can have anything you want. Except one right in the middle. You can eat any of the fruit off these trees. But there's one tree in the middle. I don't want you to eat that fruit. Because if you eat that fruit, you're going to die. So think about what God was doing here. He was establishing some rules to live by. Rules. God had the prerogative to do that. It was his right to do that. He was Adam's creator. He was also Adam's master. But not only did God establish this rule, but he also engaged in a relationship with Adam. And that, that's the important piece here. You see, this one rule was given to protect their relationship. The, the rule was good. But the relationship with God was far better. God was far more interested in that relationship with Adam and Eve than he was in his rule. And I believe it's still that way today. I was reading a couple of weeks back something that Tony Evans wrote, and, and, and I want to share it with you this morning. He said, as you put God first in your life, make certain that what you do is rooted in relationships rather than in rules. Pay attention. He says, too frequently people confuse structure with surrender. Because you see, we, we kind of, and, and I meet people like this all the time. You know, I want to go to heaven. Just tell me what I have to do to get to heaven. Give me, give me the list that I can check off the stuff that, that get me in position to get there. We're rule checkers. And that's what he's talking about here. He said they cross off a list and they think that they put God first when in actuality, if God is first, you don't need a list because you will naturally seek him, his heart, and his way in your own personal surrender out of love. Whenever religious activity trumps relationship, the victory of Christ is no longer experienced in the fullness it ought to be in the believer's life. One of the greatest dangers in our churches today is for religion to to replace an intimate relationship with a Savior. By religion, he says, I mean the external adherence to exercises, codes, and practices in the name of God, yet apart from God. For example, he said, if you go to church because it is the religious or spiritual thing to do, rather than because you are motivated to spend time worshiping God, learning about him, and experiencing him, then that is religion. Religion is anything that you do for God that does not stem 
out of a heart connected to God. Think about that. Folks, I believe that Satan really likes religion. In fact, I'm not so sure that it wasn't his idea in the first place. Religion may be his counterfeit of, the, of God's idea of relationships. I know this, he doesn't care how religious a person is. He really doesn't. He's not going to prevent you from being religious. What he doesn't want you to do is have a personal relationship with God. You can be as religious as you want to be. But God, God's, God, God's not interested in religion. God wants to know you. That's a relationship. As long as Adam and Eve obeyed God's one simple rule, then their relationship with God was going to be protected. God loved them. He loved them enough to warn them about the consequences of disobedience. And I want you to know God loves you. God loves you no matter what you've done, what you've said, where you've been, who you've been with, or anything that's ever gone on in your life. God loves you. He loves every human being that's ever lived on this planet. We have a loving God. Amen? He's a loving God. But that's not true of our greatest enemy. Satan doesn't love you. He hates you. He hates God. He hates Jesus. He hates you. And, and, and nothing's ever going to change there. What was the first trick that Satan pulled out of his bag of temptation? Do you, do you, do you remember that trick? What was it? It was doubt. Doubt. He wanted Eve to doubt the truthfulness of God's word. Remember what God said to Adam in his warning? He said, the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. Well, what God told him was the absolute truth. Sin always leads to death. You can't sin and not die. In the sense that we're talking about here in scripture. Look, look at what Satan says to Eve after, after uh, you know, he encounters her in the garden. He says in chapter 3 verse 1, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Think about what he's doing here. He's misquoting scripture again. He misquoted what God had said to Adam. He changed it up. He left some words out. He added in some words. He twisted and changed the original statement to confuse and to trick and to cause Eve to doubt God and his word. And guess what? It worked. It worked. Because look at what she says back to him. It's not what God said to Adam either. She says in verse 2, of course we may eat from the tree in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. <laughs> She's adding to the word of God. She said, if you do, you will surely die. Well, he caused her to doubt. The next thing he did was he tell, told a flat-out lie. I mean, Satan goes back to her with, with the words, you won't die. You won't die. Well, he's challenging and he's contradicting the word of God. And that's absolutely not what God told him. In fact, God said you would die. And trust me, they died. 
they had to die or else God was going to be a liar. And God's not a liar, is he? He tells the truth. The question, though, is how did they die? Well, they did not die physically that day because, but because of his sin against God at age 930 years. <laughs> a long, long time after he committed that first sin. At 930 years of age, Adam died physically. Now, you say, well, so what? Delayed punishment. Well, no. Think about it this way. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, they would have lived forever. They would have never experienced what they had to go through because of their sin. That would have been a beautiful thing. Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 12, Sin came into the world because of what one man did, and with sin came death. He said this is why everyone must die, because every one sinned. Adam and Eve did not die physically the day they first sinned, but they indeed died in the very moment that they sinned against God. You say, well, how did they die, Brother Randy? Well, they died spiritually to God. Romans 6.23 says when people sin, they earn what sin pays. What, what does sin pay? Death. Spiritual death. When you commit your first sin, you immediately die spiritually. And that's what Isaiah tells us. He says, it is your sin that has separated you from your God. Spiritual death is being separated from God. You being out here and God being over here. What does that mean? That simply means when you're when you're spiritually dead, you're on your own. You're by yourself. You're praying to the sky. You're by yourself. You have no protection. You have no benefits. You're lost to God. And here's the tragedy of that. If you physically die when you're spiritually separated from God, then you end up being eternally lost to God. That is eternal death. And you wind up living in a place called hell. And trust me, that's not a place where you want to live. Revelation 20:15 says, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That lake of fire, that lake of burning sulfur, that is hell. I told you just a couple of weeks ago, hell is not a place that God created for human beings to live in. But because you reject him and reject his son, there will be many people that wind up in hell, probably more people in hell than there are in heaven because our world is a very rebellious world. So think about it. Satan's best trick was to get you and is to get you to doubt the word of God. His greatest lie is that you won't die. And his ultimate goal is threefold. He wants you to disobey God so there's sin in your life. He wants to divide you with the sin that you commit. You and God separated forever and ever. He wants you spiritually dead so that you can die physically and wind up eternally dead to God in hell. That's his plan. God speaks the truth. He says, if you sin, you will die. Well, Satan lies. He says, you won't die. Who do you believe? Who does the world believe? Oh, and by the way, Satan constantly modifies his statements to meet any generation. 
He tells young people, you're bulletproof, you'll never die. That's right. He also says life is all over when you die, so go for the gusto. Make the most out of the life you have, that's all you get. Sometimes he said, don't worry about dying, you get a second chance after you die. He's even said, there's no hell after death, so don't worry about it. Sometimes he just says, everybody's going to heaven. Let's have a party and enjoy life. All lies. He's a master at lying. Writer of Hebrews says, everyone must die once. Die once and then be judged. I'm a fan of King David. King David understood death. He was faced with the potential of death almost every day as king of Jerusalem, king of Israel. He wrote the 23rd Psalm. It's a psalm that we preachers use a lot at funerals, but it should be preached on Sunday morning. It is a powerful, powerful psalm. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. He lets me rest In green meadows, he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And then in verse 4, he says, Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, he says, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Christian, I want you to understand that God doesn't promise you because you are a Christian or he doesn't promise you if you become a Christian that you won't die or have troubles in this world. He doesn't promise you that. David understood something about death. I I went back and I got thinking about it. You know, I'm sure that David saw his mom and dad pass away. We don't know how many brothers and sisters he had or aunts or uncles, but I'm sure he saw a lot of family members pass away, die. I know that he had one child at least that died. David and Bathsheba had a baby, Solomon's first, Solomon's brother, his only brother. And that that child died when he was a baby. So David understood death. But he said, even though I walk through the dark valley of death, I will fear no evil. Folks, Christians are not immune to sickness and death. Even the Son of God, Jesus Christ, suffered and died. Warren McWilliams said Jesus' own experience in Pilate's court, standing before the judge, the, the governor of Jerusalem. What he experienced in Gethsemane when he sweat drops of blood and, and what he experienced on Golgotha shows that God's faithful people do suffer physical harm and pain. But in all suffering and trouble, we can turn to God and experience the spiritual security that he gives us. And I love this last line in his statement. He says, our problems never outnumber God's resources. Yeah, it pays to be on God's side. Jesus said, I am the living one who died. And I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. What, what's Jesus saying when he says that? He said, I've got the keys to death and the grave. I'm in control. I can unlock it or I can lock it. Jesus has power over death and the grave. 
He said, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and put you to test. You will be persecuted for 10 days or for a period of time. But he says, remain faithful for even, even when you're facing death. And I will give you a crown of life. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen to the spirit and understand what the spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious. In other words, whoever gets that victory from a relationship with Jesus Christ will not be hurt by the second death. You won't experience hell. Hallelujah. I don't want to go there and I don't have to. God's promises. He also promises that no matter what you go through in life, you won't live or die alone. I, I love that. I've seen a lot of senior adults through the years die alone in homes nursing homes and hospitals. It's hard to believe that people die alone when there's so many people in this world. But it happens. But Jesus says, you won't die alone. He said, even though, I, even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will, well, I will not be afraid. Why? For you. He's, he's talking to God here. You, my shepherd. He's talking to the Lord. You're close beside me. Here's, here's a verse I want you to memorize. Psalms 91.1. I love it. This is the one I'm going to keep memorized. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Most people today just want some rest. You can find it when you draw near to the Lord. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. God has even made believers the amazing promise that we will live with him in eternity beyond death. What's your greatest enemy? Death. Next to Satan, it's death. Can you imagine not having any hope beyond death? That's where most people live today. I, I, I've heard people say, you know, I don't, I don't know how anybody goes through the, the dark days of the valley without some hope. Well, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, they will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me, and they will never, 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 ever, ever perish. But then he says, do you believe this? Do you? Do you live like you believe this? Do you believe it? I'm pretty sure everybody in this room has heard the name Daryl Waltriff. Anybody not know who Daryl Waltriff is? He's a former NASCAR stock car driver. Great driver, great guy. He's also a Christian and he's a godly man. And back when Daryl was actively racing, his wife used to give him a, a promise from scripture that was then placed on the dashboard of his car before every race. It would be put right on the dashboard. Well, on this particular day, Dale Earnhardt saw her giving a scriptural promise to her husband 
And Dale asked her if she would give him a promise as well. And it's reported that she did. On the day that Dale Earnhardt had his tragic accident at the Daytona 500, it is said that his verse for that day and for that race was Proverbs 18.10 that says this. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. The godly run to him and are safe. Folks, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're afraid of. But I'm telling you that fear is not of God. And I can understand you being fearful if you don't have hope, if you don't have assurance, if you don't have Christ living in your heart. I understand why you're afraid. I've been there. I know what that's like. And I, I don't, I don't want to go back there. Praise God, I don't have to go back there. I don't have to fear anything. I can trust in the Lord. And he will be my refuge. He will be my shelter. And you can as well. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. I want you to think about this. There's no reason to fear. You don't have to worry about people. You don't have to worry about circumstances. You don't have to worry about the unknown. If you'll put your hope and faith and trust in Christ and trust him as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter what you face, when you face it, where you face it, God will be with you. He'll take care of you. I've been telling you for weeks that this life is not all there is to living. In fact, God allows you to live on this planet for 75 plus or minus years for you to decide where you want to spend eternity. This is just a grain of sand in the bucket of life. Where's your hope? What has you Fearful today, what are you struggling with? Will you give it to Jesus? Maybe you need Jesus before you can give it to him because without him being the Lord of your life, you don't have anybody to trust in. <laughs> I'm asking you today to put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ if you don't know him. Will you trust him today and be saved? It's simple. It's not as hard as the world makes it out to be. Romans 10, 13 says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is trust him, talk to him, tell him what you fear and tell him what you need and he'll meet you where you are. Father, this morning, I, I thank you for your word that is so true and I thank you that your word is more relevant than any newspaper, any magazine, any other book we'd ever read. It speaks to us where we live and where we are. And God, you've been able to look into the heart of every person this morning that's in this room and you know what their need is. You know what their fear is. You know those, Lord, that belong to you and you know those that don't. And because you're a loving God, you extend an invitation for anyone who would put their faith and trust in you to come and you'll forgive them. 
and you'll save them and you'll make things right between them and God. Oh Lord, please today, draw that person that's so close to hell, they don't even realize it. Draw them to your throne and to your person. Oh Lord, for us who are Christians, we have no reason to fear anything. Help us to be bold and help us to be brave. Help us to live for you and not be ashamed to call you our Lord and Savior. Lord, help us to tell others about you. Father, we know people who need to be saved. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them to put their trust in you. So many things, Lord, today that we need to focus on. But the most important thing is we need to know you. Help us to put our eyes on you, Jesus. Calm our fears. In Jesus' name, amen. We stand this morning. Will you respond to whatever God's put in your heart to do? Whatever you need to do to find rest with the Lord, whether it's being saved, rededicating your life, whatever it might be, will you make that commitment to God today? If you'll come, I'm here to help you. You come on as God leads your heart. You come.